take our uh, Bibles, and I'd ask for you to go with me to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number uh, 23, Matthew chapter number 23, and uh, if you do not have a Bible, raise your hand, and one of our ushers can get one for you, and we want you to have a Bible in front of you as we study God's Word together, Matthew chapter number 23, so if you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up, and we can get one for you. Matthew chapter number 23, we'll begin reading at verse number 1, we'll read the entire chapter as is our custom, Matthew chapter number 23, we'll begin reading at verse number 1, and we'll read the entire chapter, Matthew chapter number 23, the Bible says, Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments, and love the uppermost rooms at feast and the chief seats in the synagogue, and greetings in the markets, and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi, But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father, which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore shall ye receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, And when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor, ye fools and blind. For whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it, and by all things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it, and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God, and by him that sitteth thereon. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise, and come in and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat, and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones, and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. 
Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous, and say, If we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partaker with them, partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. And that upon you may come all the righteous bloodshed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Berechias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation." O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, for I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. And let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Again, we come to you tonight asking that you please bless the next few moments as we open your word and as we study the Bible. Lord, I pray that you would please give me the wisdom and the uh, right spirit to be able to preach the Bible and to be able to study this text together as you would have us to study it, Father, in your precious name, I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in um, Matthew 23, and if, if you remember from last week, Jesus, in the previous chapter, just had a, a battle of wits with the Pharisees, and they were going back and forth, and they were asking him questions, and he was shutting them down, he asked them a final question, kind of knocked them out, and no one dared, the Bible says, no one durst ask him any more questions, and he's now, in chapter 23, going to preach one last sermon about and to the Pharisees. And, and these are the kind of the last two sermons of the, of the book of Matthew. In Matthew 23, it's a, a sermon about and to the Pharisees. Matthew 24, I would encourage you to be here next Wednesday because next Wednesday we're going to be uh, studying Matthew 24. And it's all about, it's the, 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 the well-known Olivet Discourse of the Lord Jesus Christ as he explains end times prophecies. And we'll be going through and explaining, uh, you know, the rapture and uh, the tribulation and all those things next week. But this week we're looking at chapter 23 uh, where Jesus is preaching uh, to the Pharisees, and this is kind of the climax. They've been battling throughout the entire book, and last week they kind of had that argument where he finally shut them down, and then this week he's preaching about them, and then he's preaching to them, and it's kind of the, the climax. And if you remember, ever since we, we got into Matthew where he rode into Jerusalem, all these events have taken place in the last week of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is all kind of happening at the end. And uh, after Matthew 24, we'll kind of start getting into the events of his death, burial, and resurrection. Now, I want you to understand, if you look at verse 1, the Bible says this, Then spake Jesus to the multitude, that's the people, and then notice this, and to his disciples, okay? So notice, he's not addressing the Pharisees yet, okay? The sermon is divided into two sections. The first 12 verses are directed at the multitude and the disciples, where Jesus is teaching about the Pharisees. And the last section, verses 13 through 39, he begins to address the Pharisees themselves and actually preaches directly at the, at the Pharisees. And he gives them eight woes, eight times in the passage. He says, woe to the Pharisees. And we'll get into that uh, tonight. But number one, for those of you that like to take notes, uh, we'll look at the, the, the sermon 
about the Pharisees or the section about the Pharisees. If you look at verse 2, the Bible says, saying. So he's addressing Jesus spake to the multitude and to his disciples, saying. So here's what he says. The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Now, here's what you got to understand. The idea there that as Moses as Moses would teach the law. Do you remember the Old Testament, how we saw that Moses would sit and he would teach people the law and he would judge and he actually had to get some help because the workload got so huge that he had to get some guys to kind of help him do some of that. He says the scribes and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So he's saying as Moses did or in Moses' place, they sit there and they judge and they and they interpret the law and they teach the law. Now notice what Jesus says, and, and this goes against a huge perception against the Pharisees. Now we'll see as we go through that Jesus is not very happy with the Pharisees, but today people have this misunderstanding about the Pharisees or the idea of uh, being a Pharisee because today people will look at a church like Verity Baptist Church that's very traditional, that doesn't compromise, that teaches the Bible, that doesn't apologize for what the Word of God says. And sometimes people will look at us and they'll say, you guys are Pharisees. And and here's why they think that. They think that because we preach the Bible and we don't water it down and maybe we're a little more strict than than, you know, every other liberal church that exists or whatever, because we don't apologize for the Word of God. They'll say, you guys are like the Pharisees with all the rules. But here's what you can understand. If you look at what the Bible says, verse 3, Jesus said about the Pharisees, all. Now, notice that word all. That means everything. He says, all, therefore, whatsoever they. Now, the they there is referring to the Pharisees. He says, all, therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe. So he's saying, whatever they tell you to do, whatever they tell you to observe, he said that, observe and do. So does it sound like Jesus was upset with the Pharisees because they had high standards and because they followed, you know, just like a high disciplined life? No. I mean, he says, hey, everything they tell you to do, all that they tell you, uh, whatsoever they bid you uh, to observe, he says, that observe and do. But notice what he says. He says, but... Do not ye after their work. He says, whatever they tell you to do, go ahead and do it. But don't do what they do. Notice what he says. For they say and do not. See, the problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees was not that they lived a disciplined life. Was not that they lived a separated life. Was not that they followed the Bible uh, to, to the letter. The problem was that they told people to live a certain way and then they themselves did not live that way. And you know what that's called? A hypocrite. The issue that he had with them was that they were hypocrites. Notice the, the verse 3. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders. But, but, here's the problem. They themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So they say, they'll put a big burden on you, and they'll tell you, you've got to do this, and you've got to do that. But they won't even with one finger try to uh, move that burden. So Jesus basically is saying about the Pharisees, do what they say, not what they do. He's saying, whatever they do, forget about that. But whatever they tell you to do, go ahead and do it. And, 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 and by the way, this kind of proves this point. Just because a bad preacher, or just because a preacher maybe goes bad or turns bad, if they preach the truth, that doesn't change the truth. And today we have a lot of people where, like, let's say the pastor 
falls into sin or the pastor messes up or the, you know, the pastor. And then people will say, well, everything he said was wrong, you know, because the pastor ends up in prison, which obviously, Lord willing, you know, I just retire from here. and I don't have to be, uh, I don't get put in prison or whatever. But, you know, just because a preacher messed up or just because a preacher didn't live right, if they told the truth and they preached the truth, truth is truth no matter who says it. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, these guys are a bunch of hypocrites. They're a bunch of liars. They don't do what they tell you to do. But everything they told you to do was right. So go ahead and do what they said. Just don't do what they do. He says, for they bind heavy burdens grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. So you got to understand this. Just because someone, don't ever get this idea of Pastor Jimenez, you know, lets you down one day or some other pastor lets you down. Don't get this idea. Well, everything they said was wrong and I'm just going to quit. Look, even if they messed up and even if they were wrong and even if they were hypocritical, if they preached the truth, then you're still responsible to follow that truth. He says, the problem with the Pharisees, and he's explaining kind of the characteristics of the Pharisees, that the problem with the Pharisees is this, they're, in their actions, they say and do not. He said their actions are bad actions. Now notice, there's another characteristic that Jesus teaches us about the Pharisees. Look at verse 5. He says, but all. Now notice again that word all. He says, all their work. So everything they do, everything the Pharisees do, all their work, they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. It's talking about religious clothing meant uh, to attract attention. Verse 6, and love, now notice that word love, and love the uppermost rooms at the feast. So when they go to the feast, they want to have that elevated position, that elevated place where they would be seen by people. They love the uppermost rooms at the feast and the chief seats. Now, the idea there is that they love the uppermost rooms of the seats. They love the chief feasts in the synagogues. And they love the greetings in the markets. And to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. So you got to understand, not only do the Pharisees have bad actions. What are their actions? They taught something that they did not do. They told people to do something that they themselves... And, and by the way, even in independent fundamental Baptist churches, there are preachers that will stand up and they'll tell their people, you got to go out soul winning and you got to go knock on doors and you got to reach people and you'll never see them out soul winning. I mean, I went to a church for like... I mean, I, I don't know. I went to a church for like 10 years. And the pastor would preach hard about soul winning and I loved it because I'm all for soul winning. And I can't think of... I mean, I never personally in that whole decade went soul winning with the pastor. And very rarely saw him out soul winning. So that's what a Pharisee is. A Pharisee is someone who tells you, hey, go do this. But they don't do it. They say and do not. There's nothing wrong with living a high standard life and trying to apply the Bible in your life. But it's wrong to tell people. And by the way, even as a parent, it's wrong to tell your kids to do something that you yourself aren't applying in your life. So they say and they do not. The problem with the Pharisees is their action. The problem with the Pharisees is their motives. They do things to be seen of men. They love the uppermost feasts. They love the chief seats, the greetings in the markets. They love to be called rabbi. Their motives are to be seen. That word phylacteries uh, is the only time it's used in Scripture. And we're told that it's a small leather type box where they would write. They take the Scriptures in, in Deuteronomy where it says to bind, you know, to bind the Word of... In, in, in Proverbs in Deuteronomy it says to bind the Word of God around your neck. And, and in other places it says to have them as frontlets and to have them... Uh, uh, 
you know, in your house, on the walls. And they would take that seriously and they would have these little boxes that they would actually wear as clothing that had the scripture on their clothing. And what Jesus is teaching them and what Jesus is saying is, what's the point of having scripture on your clothes or on your walls or even carrying it around in your hands if you're not going to do what it says to do? And he says, your problem is that you know what to do and you tell people what to do, but you don't do what you tell other people to do. And he says, what's the point if you're not going to do something with it? He gives us another characteristic of the Pharisees, and that is not only their action and not only their motives, but also their image. Notice what he says in verse 7. He says, and greetings in the markets. Now notice, remember, we, we talked about the fact that they love these things. And love to be called of men, Rabbi Rabbi. They, they love when someone would approach them and say, Rabbi, they love that. I was, I was studying for this sermon, and I remember thinking to myself, the first time, uh, you know, my wife and I started Verity Baptist Church uh, just a little bit over four years ago, and I remember the first time that someone referred to me as pastor. And I was scared to death when someone said pastor, and I'm like, me? <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a uh, humbling idea to have someone refer to you uh, in a, using the title of a, of a spiritual leader. But the Bible says about these men that they love to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Look at verse 8. But be not ye called Rabbi. Now notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, you shouldn't be called Rabbi. Now there's a religion called Judaism that calls their religious leaders Rabbis. And, but Jesus says, be not ye called Rabbi, for one is your master. Because the word Rabbi means master. He says, you shouldn't go around calling people rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ. And, and here's a key, key phrase, and you ought to underline this in your Bible if you, don't, if you like to underline things. He says, and all ye are brethren. He says, don't go around calling somebody master when the only master is Christ and we're all brethren. We're all equals. Now, like we talked about on Sunday morning, we have different offices and different administrations, and there's different positions. Paul said, I magnify mine office, and I do believe that people ought to have respect for the office of a pastor, you know. Uh, that's why at Verity, this isn't, you know, this isn't Calvary Chapel, okay. I'm not Roger, all right. You, you know, you ought to teach your kids, and you ought to get in the habit of referring to the pastor as pastor, because you should have respect for that position. But more than that, you need to realize that we're all equals. We're all brothers. The only master is Jesus. Look at verse 9. He says, and call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. And now the context is obviously about religious leaders. And it's interesting. Jesus said, don't call any man father. And there's a religion called the Roman Catholic Church that calls their spiritual leadership father. And you think to yourself, have you guys ever read the Bible? Because Jesus specific, I mean, is it not clear in verse 9? And call no man your father. Now look, I'm not attacking Catholic people. Catholic people need the gospel like anyone else. But you need to understand this religious system where we give people a title that does not belong to them. He says, look, call no man father. You know why you shouldn't call that guy in that uh, confessional booth father? Why? He says, because for one is your father which is in heaven. He said, look, you have a heavenly father. Don't give that title to anyone else. And by the way, I'm, you can call me pastor. 
You can call me bishop if you'd like. I mean, that's a scriptural term. I know Baptists don't like to use that term a lot. You can call me elder if you'd like. I know we don't we shy away from that term also, but those are scriptural. But you know what? You should you don't call me this. And if, and if someone if a visitor calls me this, okay, don't blow up on them either. All right. But you know what's not good to call a, a pastor? Don't call him reverend. Okay. There's one person who's reverend, and that's God. And we ought to be very careful to not give these titles that belong to God and give them to men. He says, call no man, verse 9, your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Verse 10, neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. Verse 11, for, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servants. Now here's what he's saying. He's talking about the fact that we ought not give these titles to people that don't belong to them. But also the idea is this. We ought not think more of people than they really are. Let me just say that again. We ought not think more of people than they really are. We ought to respect the position that an individual may have. Paul said, I magnify in mine office. We understand all that. But at the end of the day, you need to remember, we're all brothers. We're all brethren. We're all on the same level. We're all sinners who deserve to die and go to hell. And we are saved by grace. And we ought not think more of anyone on this earth than just that, that they are a brother in Christ. Now, I'm thankful for those who have invested their lives into me. And I'm thankful for those who have taught us. And you ought to be thankful for them as well. But at the same time, we need to have this balance where we realize we're all human. We're all normal. And, and in verse 11, the context of this is don't elevate someone above Jesus Christ. And in verse 11, he says, But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And I was thinking about, you know, this week I got a phone call, and I get a phone call like this, you know, if not every week, every, every other week. I'll have somebody call me, and they're good people, I'm not, I'm not criticizing them. But I'll have somebody call me who listens to our preaching online, or uh, listens to our audio sermons on our website, or listens to our YouTube page, and, and they want to call me and complain about their pastor, and, and tell me how horrible their pastor is. And I understand a lot of these pastors are pretty lame. I get that. And you know, if, if he's that bad, then you need to leave that church and go find a church you agree with. But you know, whenever someone calls me, I always tell them, hey listen, you ought to not, because notice what Jesus says, verse 11, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And I always tell them, I'm thankful that you listen to the preaching online. I'm glad you agree with it. I'm glad you watch the videos. I'm thankful for all that. But you ought to have some honor for the guy who's in your hometown who serves you every week, who preaches to you every week, who visits you in the hospital, who prays for you. Hey, if you're going to give respect to anybody, give respect, verse 11, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. Give respect to the guy that's faithful there where you're at. You know, and, and if you say, well, he's bad, then move somewhere else and, and find someone that you can uh, get under leadership of. But we ought to have this, we ought not have this mentality where we elevate. And by the way, even in, in, in church, I, I know of a church where the pastor was so elevated that he actually began to do illegal things that church people knew about and they just looked the other way. We ought never get to the place where you're where like, well, the pastor, you know, he's just the pastor. Look, we're all brothers. We're all brethren. You ought to respect the position of a pastor. You ought to protect the position that God has given. But at the end of the day, don't elevate an individual higher than they need to be. Verse 12, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. We've talked a lot about that uh, as we've been studying the book of Matthew. Notice in verse 13, the chapter changes. So the first 12 verses was kind of Jesus 
maybe grabbing the attention of the Pharisees. He's talking to the multitudes. He's talking to the disciples about the Pharisees, saying, let me tell you something about the Pharisees. They care a lot about their actions in the sense that they tell you to do something, but they themselves don't do it. And they care a lot about their motives, you know, and, and they do things to be seen of men. And, and they're all about their image. They, want, they love to be called rabbi. They love to be called master. He says, but you don't do that. And then in, in verse 13, Jesus kind of turns his attention to the Pharisees themselves and actually begins to directly preach to them. And uh, let's just quickly go through. He, he gives us eight woes. Jesus has eight woes in this passage where he, he kind of... Now, here's what you understand. The word woe means an expression of grief. Sometimes the same word is translated in our Bible as alas. And it's just kind of something you would say to just say like, man, like this is really bad. You know, this is, this is not good. And notice the woes that Jesus gives. Verse 13, he says, but woe unto you. He says, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the problem with the Pharisees is this. They stop people from coming to God because of their hypocrisy. Y'all let that that sink in for a second. Notice what he says. He says, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. He said, you close the doors to the kingdom of heaven where men aren't able to go in. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer. The word suffer means allow. He says, you don't. You don't go in yourself and you don't allow them that are entering in to go in. And here's what he's, Jesus is trying to say. Because of your hypocritical life, because you say and do not, because you only care about what's seen, because you're only interested in yourself. He says because you pretend to be godly and spiritual when you're really putting up a front. He says you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. When you live a hypocritical life, you hurt the cause of Christ. I remember being in the Air Force. When I was in the military, I'd, obviously I'd try to give the gospel to anyone and any, everyone who would, who would listen to me, you know, on, on lunch breaks or after work, before work. And I remember I had to do this kind of project, this thing that took a few weeks with this individual. I was, in, I was an airman at the time, and he was a sergeant, and he was an atheist. And I was talking to him about the gospel and he kind of shut me down real, real fast, and, and he said, you know, he said, you know why I'll never go to a Christian church? And I said, well, why is that? And he said, because of so-and-so, and he named another individual in our, in our, uh, in our work that, that we worked with. And I didn't really know so-and-so, you know, so I thought, well, that's, that's odd. So I started looking at so-and-so, and I found out that so-and-so went to a big mega church in town, and so-and-so was real... Uh, verbal about telling people that he was a Christian and, and very verbal about telling people that they should come to his mega church and it's so nice and this and that. But the problem with this individual was that you would often hear him in the locker room cursing and yelling at his wife and him and his wife were having some sort of marital problems and, 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 and people would say, you know, if that's how Christian marriages are, I don't want anything to do with it. 
And he would come in late and he would leave early and he was known just as kind of someone that you couldn't really trust. He would, he would uh, you know, just kind of, if, if you were doing a project with him, he would slack on the job and you'd kind of have to make up for him. And, and he had this attitude, but he, he had this problem of his, the way he lived his life. And then putting the name of Jesus with it would just cause other people to say, if that's what Christians are like, I don't want. And I remember when, when, that, when that clicked in my mind, I thought to myself, wow, that's amazing. That your life could cause someone to not want to hear the gospel. And that's what Jesus said. He's saying, but woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. And you ought to to think about the fact that you may be witnessing and telling people about Jesus. And they know you go to church. And they know you, you go into the Wednesday night Bible study. And they know you've been doing things. And then imagine, because you decided to act like an idiot at some party. Or you decided to give into your flesh, you know, when you, well, you, it wasn't a church event. But the world doesn't look at it that way. They say, oh, that's what Christians are like? Yeah, that's what I thought. The problem with Pharisees is they stop people because of their lifestyle from coming to God. Because people look at it and say, if that's what Christians do, I don't want anything with that. I can do better than that without God. Reminds me of the story of David. Keep your finger there in Matthew 24 and go with me just real quickly to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Just real quickly. We're not going to turn to a lot of passages tonight because there's so much in this chapter uh, to go over. But look at 2 Samuel chapter 12 just very, very quickly. In the Old Testament, you got those first and second, you got first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, first and second Chronicles. You can find those one and two books. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 12. Remember King David? The Bible says about David that he was a man after God's own heart. This was a very godly man. But remember, He sinned against God and committed adultery with Bathsheba. And there's a very humbling statement that Nathan the prophet makes to David when confronting him about his sin. 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13, the Bible says, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Aren't you thankful that God forgives sin? But look at verse 14. He says, How be it? He says, God, God will forgive your sin, you know. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, God will forgive your sin, David. God will, God will take you back, David. I mean, you, you know, you're, you, he'll, he'll restore the joy of your salvation. Now, you know, He didn't say restore my salvation because you don't lose your salvation. But He said, I'll restore that joy that came with your salvation. He said, God will forgive you, David. How be it? Verse 14. Because, I, because by this deed... Notice what he says to David. Thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And here's what the prophet was saying to David. Prophet Nathan was saying to David, God can forgive you, but because of your double standard, David, but because you've already gone around, you slew Goliath in the name of the Lord, and you've fought all these battles in the name of the Lord, and you're the poster child of, of, of God for Israel, and you committed adultery, and you killed your eye of the Hittite, and you had this child of God. He said, he said, God will forgive you, but you've given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Because here's what they're all going to say. If David's like that, then why would we go to the God of David? You ought to be very careful with your testimony. You ought to be very careful with how you live your life. 
because I would hate to get to heaven and find out that there were some people that would have got saved but didn't because they were so disgusted with my life. They were so turned off by my testimony. There was so much hypocrisy. And I I spoke well and I said all the right things, but I just didn't really follow through with what I said. He said, you shut up the kingdom of heaven. Notice the second woe, woe number two, verse 14. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, the word pretense means an attempt to make something that is not the case appear true. He says, and for a pretense, make long prayers, therefore shall you receive the greater damnation. Now here's what he's saying. The problem with the Pharisees is not only that because of their actions, they stop people from going to heaven or they turn people off from wanting to hear the gospel and turning to God. But he says the other problem with the Pharisees is that they only help when there's something to gain. When there's something they get from it. And here's what he's saying. He's saying these Pharisees would go and they would devour widows' houses. Meaning they would they would gain from them financially because they were a widow. And you say, well, how would you gain from a widow financially? How does that go? Well, it's interesting. And, you know, it's funny because I was going to tell you this, and I thought to myself, I'm probably going to tell people this, and everybody's going to, like, roll their eyes and say, Pastor, you made that up, and that's not true, and, and that's crazy. But did you know that the Roman Catholic Church takes money to, pay for peop- to, takes money to pray for people? I, I mean, they, they, they would take money, they would go to a widow who just lost her husband and say, hey, listen, your husband's in purgatory, and if you pay us so much money, we'll, we'll go ahead and pray for him. And I remember thinking, I was thinking to myself, man, I'm going to tell people that, and people are going to think I'm crazy. And then Brother Vincent, and, I, and I'm not putting your dad on, on the spot at all, but someone who has a Catholic background puts in a request and says, how much do I have to donate for you to pray? And I almost felt like, man, God just did that to prove a point. There are churches who pray for people only if there's a financial gain. There are people who only minister if there's a financial gain. And God says to those people, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses. And for a pretense, for a made-up purgatory, as not even found in Scripture, you'll make long prayers. He says, Therefore shall ye receive the greater damnation. The problem with the Pharisees is that they not only by their actions stop people from going to heaven, they turn people off from wanting to hear the gospel. But the problem with the Pharisees is that they only helped when there was something for them to gain. You want me to pray for you for free? You want me to minister for you for free? Notice the third woe, verse 15. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte. Now the word proselyte means a a person who has converted from one religion to another. And when he is made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. You know what the third problem with the Pharisees was that Jesus was telling us about? Is that they're often more zealous in reaching people with their message than we are with ours. And he says, you make them twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. He says, by the time you're done with them, they're worse off than you are. And the idea, if you don't understand that verse, the idea of this, for those of you that have attempted soul winning or gone out soul winning, is it harder to win a lost man to Christ? Or is it harder to win a lost man to Christ who has converted to Mormonism? 
or to the Jehovah's Witness or to another cult. See, when people go into these religions that are not found in the Bible or not founded in Scripture, they end up making them twofold more a child of hell than themselves because I'd rather talk to a lost person who just doesn't know anything about the Bible and explain to them the gospel than have to go through and correct all these false doctrines taught by these false teachers. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says the problem with the Pharisees is that they're more zealous in getting people converted to their false religion than we are when we have the truth, when we have the gospel, when we can stand on the word of God, when we can prove what we believe by the Bible, by what the word says. And yet we have people, you know, we have trouble getting people, you know, to, to show up to say, hey, I'll go show somebody the truth. But when they go out with the lies, without the Bible, without the truth, with their lies, with their printed material, that goes against scripture they'll go out you know early just have tons of people to proselyte fastest growing religion in america islam mormonism their number one converts baptists that ought to make you that ought to make you mad problem with the pharisees is that even though they're totally wrong even though they are hypocrites They're very good at converting people. Look at woe number four, verse 16. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Now here's here's what they're saying. You can go ahead and swear by the temple, and we don't really care, but don't talk about the gold that's in the temple. The problem with the Pharisees is they emphasize the physical more than the spiritual. They emphasize money. You go to a church where all they talk about is money, 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 money. Every sermon, it's money. Every sermon, it's offering. Every sermon, is we got to raise money for this. And look, there's nothing wrong with raising money. The Bible talks about offerings. The Bible talks about tithing. There's nothing wrong with that. But you go to a church where that's all they talk about. You may be in a Pharisaical type church. You say, well, no, they're not. They're pretty laid back. I mean, you can go to church on your flip-flops and they don't have rules. They're not Pharisees. Having rules doesn't make you a Pharisee. Being money-hungry makes you a Pharisee. He says, Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. You know why we don't talk a lot about, about money at Verity Baptist Church? Because for two out of the three services every week, we preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the books of the Bible. So here's what that means. Tonight, we've been going verse by verse through chapter 23. Last week, we went verse by verse through chapter 22. Next week, we'll go verse by verse, chapter 24. And we just preach the Bible. And you know what? When you do that, it causes you to only preach what the Bible says. So we talk about money as it comes up in Scripture. And guess what? It doesn't come up every other verse. Because God's just not that interested in money. He talks about it, but it's not a priority with him. But with the Pharisees, he says, verse 16, Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple is nothing, but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whosoever is greater than uh, the gold of the temple, that, uh, I'm sorry, the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold, and whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing, but whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon the altar, he is guilty. So they would say, Go ahead and swear by the altar, but don't swear by that gift on the altar. Don't swear by that offering on the altar. It'd be, I mean, it's silly, but it'd be like saying, hey, you can swear by the offering plate that we have, but don't swear by the money that's in the offering plate. It's just silly. It shows you where their heart is. Verse 19, ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift? 
Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it, and by all things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it, and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God, and by him that sitteth thereon. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, Pharisees emphasize the physical, emphasize the material, emphasize money, and don't emphasize the spiritual. Notice woe number five. Woe number five in verse 23 says, Woe unto you. Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now notice what he says. He says, For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to have leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, You're so strict. He said, if somebody gives you, uh, you know, uh, anise or cumin or mint, someone gives you uh, a, a, a powder, someone gives you a spice, you would look at the amount that they gave you and you would figure out the value of that and you would tithe off of that. But you have omitted the weightier matters of the law. And here's what Jesus is saying. There are some more important things in life than money. He says, you, you tithe off the smallest speck, but you've omitted the weighter matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Now notice, he's not saying that it's wrong to be thorough in your giving, because notice, well, notice what he says. He says, these ought ye to have done. He says, I'm glad you tithe off the mint and the anise and the common, because here's the purpose of, of, of the tithe, is to emphasize or to realize that everything that comes to you was given to you by God. So when you get something, then you say, well, I'm going to give this back to God. And my wife and I, you know, someone takes us out to dinner. Uh, we, tr- we try to, you know, say, well, that dinner was probably cost, you know, you know, I don't know, 50 bucks or whatever. So we try to tithe for that. You say, well, somebody paid that as a gift. You know, we try to tithe off of the things that people give us because we want to follow the Bible as close as we can. When someone gives us a gift, we try to figure out, well, that suit that the church gave me is probably worth about this much. So, and we try to tithe off that. But you ought not do those things and then omit judgment, mercy, and faith. Now, people try to say, well, see here, Jesus is, bl- is saying that it was wrong for them to die. He's not saying it's wrong for them to die. He says, these ought ye to have done. He said, I'm glad you did those things. And not to leave the other undone. You see what he's saying? He said, you blind guides. He said, you strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. He said, you, a, a, a little tiny gnat that you could swallow in your sleep and not even know. He said, you'll strain at that gnat and you'll kind of, he said, but then you'll swallow a whole camel. And here, here's what he's saying. I, I, heard, I heard somebody say this quote, and it's kind of not, not exactly what Jesus is saying, but I thought it was a good quote. Someone said this, a carnal person will make a small matter, will take a small matter and make it big. And a spiritual person will take a big matter and make it small. And you can always tell if someone's spiritual or carnal. Somebody sat in my chair, Pastor, and I'm leaving the church as a result of it. You're pretty carnal. You're taking something kind of small. You know, we have, we have other chairs. <laughs> Someone parked in my parking spot. Well, I mean, your name's not on it. I always park there. The first-time visitor didn't know that. <laughs> and they'll take something that's real, relatively small and insignificant and make it big. But a spiritual person will take something that's big. Or someone actually did offend them, and somebody actually did wrong them, and someone actually did do something that was a big deal. And that spiritual person will turn the other cheek, and they'll love their neighbor as themselves, and they'll go ahead and say, you know what? 
I'm going to esteem other better than myself. And they'll take something that's big and they'll turn it small. See, a Pharisee will strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. A Pharisee will, will strain at something small and then accept something big. Someone else said this, you know, a Pharisee, they'll get mad. The pastor preaches for more than an hour and it's like, man, I can't believe he preached for more than an hour. They'll strain at that gnat. But they'll sit there and watch, you know, movie after movie and just filth on TV for hour after hour. You'll strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. I can't believe the pastor. I mean, he used to be done by... And look, we do our best around here, and we've very rarely... Especially Isaiah, good night. I mean, we've been getting out so early. I can't believe he preached that long. Well, you weren't complaining when you're watching... You know, you're watching your Star Wars marathon, or whatever, you know. You strain at a gnat. You swallow a camel. Notice verse 25. You got the sixth wall. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, He says, for ye may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. The sixth woe for the Pharisees is the problem with the Pharisees is this. They focus only on the exterior. Because remember, they're motivated by what people think about them. So Jesus says, you know, what one to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? You may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within you're full of extortion and excess. Now, you need to understand this. It's not that God doesn't want the outside clean, but it's that God doesn't want the, only the outside clean. In fact, God says when it comes to cleansing yourself, you got to start with the inside out. You ought to start with the sins of the heart and the sins of your mind. And you ought to work on those. Before you start getting worried about making sure everything else on the outside is right. He says, notice verse 26. He says, thou blind Pharisees. He says, cleanse first that which is within the cup of the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. There's nothing wrong with having the outside clean. There's nothing wrong with dressing right and looking right and acting right and, and being right on the outside. But he says, first you ought to clean the inside. And when you clean the inside, when the heart is right and when the mind is right, the outside will follow. But he said, you know what a Pharisee does is they, they make sure they look good on the outside while the inside's full of dead men's bones. Notice verse 27. You have the second woe, the seventh woe. Now, the sixth woe was this. The problem with the Pharisees is that they focus only on the exterior. The seventh woe is the problem with the Pharisees is that they do not focus on the interior. Woe unto you, verse 27, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For ye are like unto whited sepulchers. Now, a whited sepulcher is like a tomb. It's a sepulcher is talking about a tombstone. And, and I love the, you know, the illustrations that Jesus gives. I, I like Jesus preaching because he doesn't tell a lot of stories. I like that because I don't tell a lot of stories. But he uses, he uses vivid illustrations. He says, here's, here's how you are, you, you hypocrites. He said, you're like a whited sepulcher. You're like a tombstone. You're like a funeral, you know, location, and go, 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 go to a, a cemetery. And it's going to be the most, one of the most beautiful locations in our city. I mean, cemeteries are well taken care of. They're manicured. They're, 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 they're made to look nice. But what are they doing? They're housing corpses. He says, you know what you're at? You're like, verse 27, one to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchre, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. He said, he said you, you're like a casket that looks very pretty on the outside, but inside there's a rotting 
body. He's like, he's like, that's what you are spiritually, Pharisees. Verse 28, even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Notice the eighth woe. Verse 29. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Now, this, this one, you, you, you kind of have to understand the context of what's going on in, in the book of Matthew, and I'll, I'll do my best to, to explain it to you, and it's not hard, but you need to understand this when you're reading this. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. He says, because, he says, ye build the tombs of the prophets. He said, you go back and you'll find those prophets that were killed, and you'll build their tombs and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous. The word garnish means you'll decorate, you'll embellish. So you'll go find these old prophets and these preachers, these righteous people, and you'll find where they were buried, and you'll build their tombs, and you'll garnish those sepulchers, verse 30, and say, if we had been in the days of our father, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. He said, you know what the problem with you Pharisees is? You'll go out and you'll find a preacher's you know, burial place and you'll build their tombs and you'll uh, garnish their sepulchers and you'll say, if we were alive you know, during this time, we would not have killed the prophets like our parents did. Verse 31, Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. He says, Fill ye up the measure of your fathers, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? Here's what he's saying. Uh, we'll look at verse 34. Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them uh, ye shall kill and crucify. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, You will go, you'll find some prophets' uh, funeral place, and you'll build up that sepulcher. You'll garnish their, their, where, they, where they're buried. You'll decorate it. You'll make it nice. You'll say, if we were alive when the prophets were, when, 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 when our fathers killed the prophets, we would not have been partakers. But then Jesus says, but here's the problem with that. When I send you a prophet, verse 34, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them you shall kill and crucify. Now keep in mind, they're about to get ready to kill Jesus Christ. And some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city. That upon you may come all the unrighteous blood shed upon the earth. From the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Barachias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you know what's the, the, the last woe about the Pharisees? The, the problem with the Pharisees is this. They pretend to be on your side when they're not. He said, he said you, you guys will go look for a prophet's burial spot. You'll go look for a prophet's tombstone or a sepulcher, and you'll garnish it, and you'll beautify it. You'll build up their tomb, and you'll say, we would have never done this to the prophets. We would have never done this. And you're about to take the greatest prophet that ever lived and crucify him. And he says, you know what the problem with the Pharisees is? They'll act like they're on your side right, about they right before they stab you in the back. Because that's a hypocrite. Someone who says, you're great. We love you. We love the prophets. Oh, and by the way, we're going to kill you. <laughs> he says, the problem is that you're fake. The problem is that you're not real. Now, I want you to notice just a few things, and we're, we're basically done for tonight. I can't go much longer because some of you are going to get upset. <laughs> but I want you to notice, Jesus, I don't know if you noticed this as we were going through the passage. But Jesus was pretty upset while he was preaching. 
I mean, I, I don't know if you noticed, but all throughout the chapter, he kept calling them hypocrites with an exclamation point. In verse 13, he says, For ye neither go in yourselves, talking about the kingdom of heaven. He says, you're not going to go to heaven. In verse 14, he said, ye shall receive the greater damnation. Here's what he's saying. Your hell is going to be hotter than their hell because of what you've done in your life. In verse 15, he says, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. Here's what he's saying. You're a child of hell and you're making him two times worse a child of hell than you are. In verse 16, he said, ye blind guides. In verse 17, he said, ye fools and blind. In verse 24, he said, ye blind guides. In verse 25, he said, you're full of extortion and excess. In verse 26, he said, thou blind Pharisee. In verse 27, he said, but are within full of dead men's bones and full of uncleanness. Verse 28, he said, ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Verse 33, he said, ye serpents. Can you imagine that? He's preaching to them and he's calling them serpents, the generation of vipers. He says you're blind. He says you're a hypocrite. He says you're a liar. When people come to our church and they say, I like your church, everybody's nice, but I don't like all the negative preaching. I think, I, I think you should only say positive things. You know what that tells me? You've never read the Bible. Does it sound like Jesus was a positive-only preacher? From time to time, he got upset. And from time to time, he would call away. By the way, the Bible says that the, part, the, the, the reason we preach, the Bible says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the house of Israel their sin. One of the reasons that we preach the Bible is to show you what you're doing wrong so that you can correct it. Because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, Pastor, I was watching this guy on TV, and he never mentions sin, and he never mentions hell, and he never says anything negative. And, and, and you know, Joel Osteen, I heard him say on the radio that he never tells, he's just a life coach, and he helps people feel better, and he never says anything negative. Well, Joel Osteen might have a lot of people at his church, but he didn't preach like Jesus. Because Jesus dealt with sin. Jesus was pretty negative sometimes. But I want you to understand, there was a balance to Jesus. Because for the last, you know, however many verses, he's mad, he's calling them hypocrites, he's calling them vipers, he's calling them, you know, uh, blind. He says you're full of dead men's bones. He says you look good on the outside, but inside you're full of iniquity and excess. He's mad at them. But then notice in verse 37, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He says, Thou that killest the prophets. Now he's talking to, about the Pharisees and, and Israel as a whole. Because he just talked about the fact that they killed the prophets. He says, Thou that killest the prophets. And stone is them which are sent unto thee. Now notice what he said. He's been mad this whole time. But then he says, How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her chickens under her wings? And you would not. See, you got to understand this. Jesus was mad at the Pharisees. He was mad at them for leading the nation of Israel astray. But at the same time, Jesus' heart was broken for the Pharisees. Never get this attitude where, where I come to Verity Baptist Church and, you know, we preach the Bible and we're Baptists and we're Biblicists and look, praise the Lord for all of that. And we dress right and we look right and we act right and we got all, all our ducks in the rope. Praise God for that. But don't ever allow that to steal your compassion for people. Because Jesus was mad and upset. But at the end of the day, he says, he says, I wanted to gather you. He says, I would have gathered you up like, like a hen gathers up her chickens. His heart was broken. He said, he said, I wanted to reach out to you, and you would not. He says, you would not. So look, we ought to have the strong biblical stand in preaching. 
But we ought to balance that with compassion and love and grace and realize that not everybody's at the, right, at the, at the same level in their Christian life. And you ought not look down at people because they're not doing what you're doing. Because then the next question is this, well, are you just doing it to be seen of men? Well, I just think that, well, why are you doing what you do? What's your motivation? Because you may be a Pharisee. Well, I... Are you motivated by what people see? Or are you motivated because you love God? Now notice what he says in verse 38, and we'll, we'll be finished. He says, behold, and I want you to notice this phrase. He says, your house is left unto you desolate. Now let me just, let's, let me just real quickly give you a cross-reference. Let's go to Matthew 21 and verse 13, and, and we'll look at Matthew 21, 13. We'll come back, look at these verses. I'll make a point, and we'll be done. We've been dealing with the idea of the, of the Jews as God's chosen people as we've been going through the book of Matthew. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. I've already preached a couple of sermons on it, so you can just look those up on the internet if you'd like or whatever. But if you remember when Jesus came in at the beginning of the week, remember, he came into Jerusalem, and the first thing he did was he went into the temple and he cleansed the temple. Remember, he turned over the, the, the money changers, he kicked them out, he said, get out of here, make not my father's house of merchandise, all those things. Now in verse 13, he said this, and said unto them, now notice what he says, this is at the beginning of the week, okay, Matthew 21. And said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Okay, so on Sunday, Jesus says about the temple, My house shall be called a house of prayer. And another passage he said, It will be called a house of prayer to all nations. He said, But ye have made it a den of thieves on Sunday. Now, we're not exactly sure when Matthew 23 took place, but we know this. The, Lord, the Last Supper took place on Tuesday night. Jesus was crucified on Wednesday. If you think he was crucified on Friday, i got a sermon for you. But we know that the Lord's Supper was, was done on Tuesday night. So Matthew 23 event took place sometime between Sunday and Tuesday night. Now, on Sunday, he says, My house shall be called the house of prayer. But by the time we get to Matthew 23, notice what he says. He says, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And there's a shift. He said at the beginning it was my house. But he said, I've given you chances. You don't want to submit. You don't want to believe. This is my last sermon to you. I'm done. He said, my heart is broken. I wanted to gather you. Ye would not. So he says, you know what? Your house is left unto you desolate. He says, I don't, I don't claim it anymore. He said, that, that temple is just a building to me now. He said, I'm moving on. There's going to be a different temple. It's going to be the body of believers. He said, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth. Till you shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. He said, the next time you see me in the dealing with you people, he said, you'll see me coming in the clouds with great, plow, with great power and glory. And there's a shift. And you've got to understand this. At the end of Matthew 23, there's, it, it kind of ends a section of this chapter. Matthew 24, he'll begin to look towards end times, and then of course he'll go to the cross, be buried, and resurrect. But this, this kind of ends the relationship with the Pharisees and the Jews, and he kind of just brings it to an end. He explains to them, you could have been saved, you could have accepted me, but you chose not to. And all I can say is this, 
We have been given the opportunity to be followers of Jesus Christ. Let us not fall into this idea of being a Pharisee. What's a Pharisee? Someone who lives by the Bible? No, a Pharisee is someone who says they live by the Bible when they don't. A Pharisee is someone who's only motivated by the things they do. A Pharisee is someone who's only interested in serving God if there's some sort of a gain for them. We ought to, pe- we ought to be people that love God and serve God out of a heart for him and want to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father,